This is the Athabiz Podcast with Stephen Campbell, session number 23. Welcome to the Athabiz Podcast. I'm Stephen Campbell, and each week I'll bring you interviews, information, and insights focused on the business of being an author. You can find the episode show notes, links to everything mentioned in the show, and lots more information at theauthorbiz.com. Greetings and welcome to The Author Biz, the Monday podcast focused on delivering actionable information to help you run your business as an author. Wherever you are, however you listen, thanks for spending some of your day with me today. Well, it's early December, which is the start of the tourist season down here in sunny and thankfully warm again Naples, Florida. For many of us, this is also the holiday season, a time we generally focus on friends, family, shopping, and lots and lots of good, fattening food. But for the business person, December is also prime time for planning. So let me ask you a question. Do you have a production plan for 2015? How many books are you planning to publish next year? If you're traditionally published, do you need to produce pitch or option material in addition to your books? If you're a hybrid or self-published author, are you on the schedule for the people you want working with you on your books? There's a lot of thought that goes into putting together a production plan, but as you'll hear from my guest today, it doesn't have to be something that's super intimidating. And it sounds scary to call it a production plan. And I think, honestly, what I've tried to do, Stephen, is think of this more as a business. And I think a lot of writers are scared of thinking of it as a business because they know they are the business. And then it's just, it becomes this huge, big thing in their mind. But um, when you think about production, it it really is. This is just an actionable to-do list. That was Elizabeth Spann Craig. She's a hybrid author who writes cozy mysteries. And about nine months ago, she wrote one of my favorite blog posts of 2014, which was titled Creating a Production Plan. I read it and reread it multiple times. Then I saved it into what I think of as my digital long-term brain, which is Evernote. I reached out to Elizabeth a month or so ago and asked her if she'd be willing to spend some time teaching us what goes into the creation of her production plan, and she graciously agreed. In this episode, she shares her process and some of the tools she uses to keep everything organized. We'll also get into how she keeps up with her award-winning blog, which, interestingly enough for a mystery writer, is entirely directed towards writers instead of readers. There's plenty of information for readers on her website, But her blog is all about writing, and it's really good. Today's show is sponsored by Audible.com. You know who they are, right? Audible has over 150,000 professionally produced audiobooks, including five of Elizabeth's Myrtle Cove mysteries. And if you sign up for a no-obligation 30-day trial, you can listen to any of the books in that series or any other Audible book for free. Just go to audibletrial.com slash authorbiz. Or go to the AuthorBiz website and click on the Audible trial link in the show notes. One last thing before we get started with the interview this week. We've added a lot of new listeners over the course of the last several weeks, so I'd like to welcome those new listeners. And if if you are new to the show, we're on episode 23, and we have several really good episodes that were 1 through 20. So if you've just been with us for the last three weeks, check out the website, theauthorbiz.com, and look through the podcast section at some of those old episodes. There's a lot of very valuable information there. One last thing, Julie asked me today, my wife Julie, asked me how many countries I had listeners in. 
And we're up to 38. The last time I checked, I think it was 19 or 20, maybe 21. 38 is awesome. It's, it's so exciting to have listeners around the world. And I thank you so much for listening. My guest today is Elizabeth Spann Craig. She's the author of three different cozy mystery series, The Southern Quilting Mysteries, The Memphis Barbecue Mysteries, and The Myrtle Cove Mysteries. She's also a prolific blogger, and she's extremely effective and popular with her multiple social media accounts. Elizabeth, welcome to the Author Biz. Thank you so much for having me today, Stephen. You and I talked a little bit before the uh, we started recording. I've been a longtime reader of your blog, so I became acquainted with you that way, and I'm acquainted with your fiction. You write cozy mysteries. You write three different series. So uh, to get us started, just tell us a little bit about your writing background and the different series that you write. Sure. Um, I write two series for um, Penguin Random House. Um, I write, as you mentioned, the Memphis Barbecue Series as Riley Adams. I write the Southern Quilting Mysteries. Um, and then I write a, a mystery series that started out with Midnight Inc. And now I'm taking it independently. Um, and so it's it's a little bit of a juggling act, but it's enjoyable to me. I like cozy mysteries, which um, if anybody's not familiar with the genre, is basically an amateur sleuth who is um, following a series of clues, you know, and obviously some red herrings thrown away, sort of a puzzle. It's, I Mm -hmm. like to think of it as like the Miss Marple type of mysteries, Agatha Christie, um, where the reader can figure out the mystery along with the sleuth. It's almost interactive in a way. Um, Actually, it would be fun if it were interactive. I guess that's something, (laughs) books for the future there. Um, So it's it's just something I find, you know, really enjoyable. I've been doing it since, um, well, I mean, I've always been a writer, but um, writing mystery since, I guess, about, uh, well, I guess I started around 2000-ish, started writing them, and then finally started finding some success in some publishers around, I guess, 2008-ish or nine. Yeah, I I will confess... And, and I've, I've confessed this before, but I did not think I read Cozy Mysteries. I thought Cozy <laughs> Mysteries were for women. They weren't for me. I'm a tough guy. I like to read tough guy fiction. And then I started interviewing Cozy Mystery authors, and they'd mention other authors. It's like, oh, I've read that. And, oh, I've read that. And it turns out I've been reading Cozy Mysteries for years. I just thought of them as traditional mysteries. <laughs> Yes. And actually, I mean, I think the term cozy is a little bit, it probably is more targeted to the female audience. Mm -hmm. Um, And usually, especially if it's traditionally published, you have a hook, um, which may be a crafting hook, like the quilting mysteries that I write. I also Mm -hmm. have the barbecue mysteries. That's the food hook. Um, So probably... I would say all of the cozy mysteries fall under the traditional mystery genre. Uh, It's just that cozies in particular usually have a hook to go with them. Now, the one that I do that is now done independently has no hook, and maybe that's why I'm writing it independently. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's why my publisher dropped me. There was no cooking going on because Myrtle burns things. And I mean, it's just, it's sort of the anti-cozy cozy. And so that may be why why I self-published that series. (laughs) Well, my wife famously reads no fiction at all. She says she reads no fiction at all. And and when I ask her why, she said it's because I hate all the murder and swearing and all the stuff that's in the books that you read. And I said, oh, you should read these books. <laughs> and I started giving her cozy mystery. So now she's a big cozy mystery fan. And we actually share some of the same books. 
Oh, that's fantastic. I'm glad you converted her. Yes. I mean, there is absolutely nothing objectionable in most, no. I mean, 99% of the cozy or traditional mysteries. Um, you just, you can't find it. I mean, I, <laughs> I started out with a little bit of profanity in a uh-huh. couple of series and then readers were like, I, I didn't really appreciate that. I said, okay, it's gone. You know, I just, I'm very responsive to what readers want. So, um, yeah, they, I mean, they, readers aren't fond of it. So it goes real quick. So you're what we call a hybrid author. You self-publish some things, and and you're traditionally published, and you've got the traditional publishing schedule, which is oftentimes once a year. You have two different series that way. You're doing your own thing. You you write – I just went back in November and counted. There were 12 blog posts on your website in November. Yes. Uh, I think nine of them were written by you. That's a lot of blog posts. So you're you're really busy. So the purpose of this show is to talk about production schedules, editorial calendars, and things like that. So as a little bit of background for listeners, as I mentioned earlier, I've been reading your blog for quite a while. And at some point last year, I think it was March of last year, you wrote a blog post called Creating a Production Plan. And I read it, and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is fabulous. It was so intimidating because there were all these steps in the process, things that we don't think about when we're not actually planning. So I saved it to my Evernote, and I refer to it constantly. And it's the end of the year now, and I thought this would be a great time to talk about production plans. And who better to talk about production plans with than you? So (laughs) what is your process for creating a production plan that allows you to do everything that you do? And it sounds scary to call it a production plan. And I think, honestly, what I've tried to do, Stephen, is think of this more as a business. And I think a lot of writers are scared of thinking of it as a business because they know they are the business. Mm -hmm. And then it's just, it becomes this huge, big thing in their mind. But um, when you think about production, it it really is. This is just an an actionable to-do list. That's all it really is. Um, So I think of all the different things that I have to do to write and to um, produce and to promote a book. And I put it in a big list and then I spread it out on my calendar so it's not intimidating to me. Um, And that's basically basically it. Um, I'm a really, really absent-minded person and I can forget a step. And when I forget a step, it can be disastrous just depending on the step. Um, But that's really it. So I go through, I know for myself, because I write about usually three to four books a year, um, I know how long it takes me to write a book. Um, that's helpful to know. It, you don't have to know that if you're starting out. You just need to have a reasonable deadline for yourself. But for me, I know it's about three months for me to write and to edit myself a book. Not oh, to really? To, to write it, it and to edit it? To write it and to edit it. Okay. Um, but for mysteries, um, as a mystery writer yourself, you know, I'm sure that there is a particular, I'm not going to say there is a formula to it, but there is a pattern to the books. Um, you know, you introduce the suspects, you introduce, you know, you obviously have a body or two in there. Um, there's definitely, you have a really loose framework to follow. So I do think genre fiction, and I think a production plan works best with any type of genre fiction, uh, because you already kind of know, it's not like you're just trying to go off in crazy directions here, you you sort of know what the story is going to do. Um, and it really is helpful to, to get more of these stories um, out there. And just because, especially if you are a self-published author and you don't have deadlines, I, I think I work better with with deadlines, flexible deadlines, but still if I can see something on my calendar. Um, so this really helps with that. 
And, and when I was looking through your list, and I, I will continue to say that it's, it, it's intimidating, it sounds simple when you say, well, it's just a to-do list, and it's basically everything you need to do to write the book and, and, and get it published and, and get it marketed. It sounds easy. There's just three steps there, except there are like uh, 15 sub-steps for each of these <laughs> little categories. Yes. But the one thing I took away from it was was your idea of scheduling everything and really putting a stake in the ground for uh, because of your production schedule with the traditional publisher, you know, you have certain dates where things are required by. And yes. so you put a stake in the ground for there and you you build back from that point and then you do the same thing for your self-published work and it really does present a flow for everything. When you do for, for the traditionally published work, um, how far in advance – it takes three months to write and for you to, to do your editing on the book. How far in advance of the publication date is that happening? Well, it sort of depends on what my agent and I can come up with um, <laughs> with the um, the publisher. And I'm very much afraid. I, I'm actually, I think I'm about to start in with some contract um, stuff with a publisher very soon. Oh, how and exciting. A little it's exciting, but I'm a little worried because um, I feel like it's a little late, so they may want it in a hurry, mm-hmm. um, but it won't take me that long to write it. That's kind of my dirty little secret. The publisher doesn't ever really know. Of course, I'm saying this here. They can listen in, but um, <laughs> I it only takes me three months, but I have my own projects to do, too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they usually give me, I'm going to say, um, mm, you know, I mean, you're right. The book is about a year in production. Usually my deadlines are going to be six months out. So technically I could write two books in that time frame. Um, sometimes they've really squeezed me. One time with the Memphis series, I got a contract extension and they were just running behind. And it was going to be, if I didn't hurry, it was going to be like two years between one release and the next, um, which of course they were worried about. Um, so they made it a bit of a pinch that time. I actually wrote that book in a month. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was very stressful, um, which I can do. I mean, I found out I can do that. Um, and that's all right. But obviously, nobody wants to really work under the gun like that. That book had a lot of dialogue in it, let me tell you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, because dialogue can fill up a lot of space. That's yes. sort of a little cheat. But, you know, funny thing was, it was one of the reader's favorite books in the series, which just shows readers prefer dialogue over narrative. Uh, at least my readers do. The things that I read, I really find that I like books that are chock full of, of dialogue. Yeah, me too. <laughs> All right. So let's – I'm, I'm using the blog post you wrote as reference material, and I'm going to link to this in the show notes as, as well as to your website because there's a ton of great information there. But in your list of things that you concern yourself with in these three general categories, one of the things is an outline. For your traditionally published work, you probably have to give them an outline, maybe the first few chapters for each book. Is that a true statement? That is true, Yes. So how far in advance of – let's say you're publishing – you're working on a book for June of 2016. When would you give them the outline? Uh, well, actually, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Okay. Is, and that's part of when also usually if you're a traditionally published author and you're trying to sell them more books in a series, then you do a pitch. Mm-hmm. And the pitch frequently inclu- includes an outline. Right. Um, so I'm going to go ahead. I've got it ready, but I, they haven't been in touch yet. So I'm kind of sitting on it. <laughs> okay. And, and there you go. I mean, you just have to keep working on your other stuff because um, we're getting close to the holidays and all of that. 
Um, so I have it ready to go. I'll go ahead when they contact me. I know she's editing something else that I've written that's coming out next year. And I think that's the delay. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I get the word, then I'll go ahead and send that to them, the pitch. I'm assuming hopefully they'll just, they'll take it. They've already been saying they were interested. Um, and then I would go ahead and start writing the book for them. Um, sometimes I'll deliver it a bit early. I mean, I certainly wouldn't deliver it like, you know, three or four months early because then I feel like they might always expect that I could write it that fast. (laughs) Um, you know, you just don't want to build in that kind of expectation. Um, so then after that, they would go ahead and start with their editing. Actually, before they even edit, they would have a cover and they would come up with cover copy and marketing stuff. And I know that sounds a little backwards. Sometimes I've had a cover before I finished the book, honestly, Stephen. Mm -hmm. And it's um it's a little bit intimidating when that happens. You know, they wrote the back cover copy because I told them with the outline what I was planning on writing. Um, and they wrote the back cover copy and there was the cover. So I was like, well, that better be the book that I write. You know, I, I need to stick <laughs> close to the outline. Um, so the production plan with traditional publishing is it's a little bit different. Um, and frequently, I don't know where I am in the process um, with that. And that's just the way it works. Um, but the blessing of that, I guess, is that I also am not in Involved with all the little bits and pieces. Right. So when I started to self-publish, I started, you know, I kind of took from it with a traditional publishing mindset, what my experience had been, and it did not really work to apply that to self-publishing. I, you know, finished the story, I handed it off to a beta reader, and then I contacted the cover designer that I was planning on working with, and she was booked for six months. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought, wow, okay, so that's not the way it works here. You know, obviously, if you've got a good cover designer, she may get or he might get completely booked up, and then you're you're just left out. So I had to find somebody else, actually. Um, and I had to do that a couple of times. And then finally, I realized, you know what? I just need to get on their calendar in advance, like way before I even write the book. Um, so that's one way that you can kind of frame your calendar if you're a self-published writer and you have a popular cover designer. Uh, it's always a good idea just to go ahead and get on their calendar. And that definitely helps you with your deadlines because then, you know, at least I need to have the back cover copy written before I have this meeting with this cover designer. And and that was one of the things that I found the, so instructive with this post that you'd written was the whole idea that once you get that stake in the ground, that I, I want to be able to put this book out on this date. Then you can work backwards and you have all these things like cover design and back cover copy and marketing and even things that you that you mentioned in there that a lot of people wouldn't think of, like setting up ACX auditions if you're going to have an audio version of your book. Yes. And, and then, yeah. Go ahead. It's a good idea. And you've got editors, formatters. You mentioned the cover designers. There are all these people that work together in your team to make you look good with this final product that comes out, and you've got to be on their schedule. And if, uh, if one person can't do it in their allotted slot, it's a problem for you, I would expect. It would be for me. <laughs> Yeah, it's a real problem. And it becomes a problem, uh, you know, a public problem, because um, that's something else is is announcing a release date, which a lot of authors do, and which I certainly did Mm -hmm. um, before, because I always had one with Penguin. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll just let readers know. Let's take this March. I had a a book that I was expecting to come out in, I think I said it was going to come out in late February. And it didn't. And that was my screw up. It was the, you know, the designer was was booked. Um, the formatter was on a boat. 
And I'm going, oh my goodness. And sure enough, I mean, I'm lucky enough to have dedicated readers. I do write for a small niche. And they wrote me and they said, Elizabeth, where's the book? Did I miss it? You know, where is it? And I thought, oh, I am never doing this again. Um, but of course, I do. I mean, now I'm saying spring, like for this next mm-hmm. self-published release. I said spring 2015. So that gives me a little leeway. And then when I get closer, I'll do better. But I mean, I've already got a cover for it, even though the book's not written. Um, you know, I've got all these other things done. It's not formatted, obviously, or edited yet. But the cover design, at least, is done. So, um, yeah, I mean, it really, it can be a real problem if, you know, your book's ready. You think, oh, I'm done. But mm, yes, it's, yeah, you're relying on other people, a whole team, actually. Um, so it's most important to get the team, I guess, I think it's the most important thing to get the team on board first. Yeah. And you've been doing this for a while, so you have your team. But how did, when you first started in, uh, down the self-publishing path, how did you put together your team? Oh, Stephen, it was such a scary process. I mean, I'm just not (laughs) going to lie to you. I am not gifted with a design, you know, background or understanding design. Um, And so I was very lucky when I was traditionally published and they just said, is this cover okay? And I'd be like, yeah, you know, that looks good. (laughs) I had no input. Um, And so setting about at the time, especially this is 2011, I guess, I I thought, I don't even know where to go. So I started, you know, I I tweet a lot of blogs. And so I had, um, I'm going to say 3,500 blogs in my Feedly blog reader. 3,500? I I know. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I know. I'm on Feedly Pro, and I still, it bombs all the time. I blow it up. (laughs) If Feedly's not working one day, you know, I did did it. (laughs) It was me. Um, I started searching for cover designers, just those terms, Mm -hmm. um, while I was looking through the blogs. And so I started coming up with a small list of people that I could see um, were doing good work. Uh, And it was so difficult. I decided, I was like, you know, you almost need a Sherpa for this process because it was just like the Wild West. I mean, there was nothing coherent about it. There was no bulletin board of, you know, people's skills or help wanted or whatever. Uh, And so I I did start up this free database and it's still out there um, for cover cover designers, editors, formatters, you know, website people. And I said, you know, if you if you do it, you know, give me your information and I'll put it on this database. It's on a Google Doc and people can find it. I said, I can't vouch for you. I'm not doing the vouching. You know, everybody, you know, vouch for yourselves. But at least to have a place where writers can kind of go through and find these people. Because um, for me, it was just a very intimidating process. And um, honestly, I mean, you know, sometimes I made some mistakes. Uh, I always just paid for the product, and I was like, yeah, this cover is not going to work for me. And mm-hmm. so to me, if, if the style just didn't work, I just went ahead and found somebody else. You know, there was no point making a big deal of it. I just didn't use it. But over uh, time, you, you developed mm-hmm. uh, relationships with different people that you were comfortable with. Yes, and that I trust. And um, so I have in my back pocket, I have several people that can do covers for me. I have a couple of people who can format for me. I have a few different freelance editors because sometimes things happen. And even if you are on somebody's schedule, I mean, gosh, there can be a disaster. You know, um, somebody can be sick Mm -hmm. or can have a death in their family. I mean, emergencies happen. So it's, it's a good idea just to have a few people that you can rely on. Yes. Do you try and have... Uh, a given team work with a series or yes. does it change? Okay. All right. So yeah. 
So they're they're the most familiar with these characters and everything yes. to go with that series. Exactly. The way the cover it, should look, all of that. Right. Now, with covers, I mean, to keep a brand look, you still can, if it's a good designer, they can pick up on, you know, the design elements. And I, I mean, when you, I would also make sure, obviously, when you're buying cover art, make sure that you own all those design elements. Like the first time that a designer told me she was actually going into publishing herself. And um, she said, you know, Elizabeth, I can't do covers for you anymore because I'm just so slammed. But here are all the, um, the different elements that were put together. Or, oh. you know, or your covers. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, this is like the font that I was using, all these different things. And so I was able to transfer that to different designers and they've been able to help me uh, with those building blocks. So it is important to be able to find a designer who can work with those types of elements and that you own them and own the rights to be able to use them. Yeah, that's an important point and something that I would not have thought of. All, all of the elements that go in, I, you know, I just, my wife does some of the uh, Adobe things and it's just beyond me. And, yeah, uh, and all of these elements and all of the things and, font, you know, I'm, I'm used to Word. It's like there are 25 fonts or 50 or 1,000 or whatever it is. But in, in Adobe, there's a gazillion. Yes. Yes, definitely. And I didn't know all the, you know, there's just, and there are all these files. And so I've just, I guess it's PSD, you know, they're all in PSD or whatever. And so it's Photoshop design, I guess. Um, so I've just got a whole Dropbox full of that stuff and I don't know what to do with it, you know, but boy, they do. So that's great. Okay. So you've got this team of people and you have a schedule. Yes. So then you're essentially managing this team. So person A needs to have their work done by their deadline so that person B can start their work, et cetera, et cetera. There's some of the stuff can be going on simultaneously, but some of it, like the formatter can't do her work until the editor finishes his work. Exactly. And really, I mean, the formatter, he likes to have the formatted um, cover files as well. So he can, if they need to be slightly changed for various formats, then he does that too. Um, so he's really the last person. Um, and so, yeah, I make sure he's not on his boat. <laughs> <laughs> so how do, you, um, how do you manage all of this? Because you've got, you know, some of, some of the books are traditionally published, so you don't have to manage everything there, but you still have responsibilities. Do you have like a big paper calendar hanging on your wall that you keep looking at, wondering if you forgot something, or is it Google Calendar, or what do you use to keep, keep everything going? It's Google Calendar, um, and I do keep it pretty low tech. Um, and I try to make it. I have I have two different reminders. I have the reminder of the big picture, where I say these are all the different things that are happening in the next couple of months, mm-hmm. and then I have my reminder for that day. You know, today is the day that I need to. Um, make sure this, this book is up on ACX. Um, and I said, the reason my production schedule is a little bit long is because I think that every book needs to have multiple revenue streams, Mm -hmm. um, resulting from it. Um, and so I do upload to quite a few platforms and my production schedule is a way of reminding myself what I'm uploading to. So I do audiobooks, ACX, which is the choice for self-publishing authors, um, right now in the U S and it's open to the, I believe it's, it's open in Europe and I don't think it's open in Canada yet, but, um, that's, that's our choice. Um, and then I've also got, you know, Wattpad, I've got these different types of platforms. And so for me, I've got to have a really good to-do list and this, and this production plan. So I don't forget any of the bits and pieces and I can get multiple exposure and hopefully revenue for the book. And while all this is going on, 
you've, you've got all these things you've got to manage. Then, of course, you're, you have other series, you have blog posts, so you're producing content presumably every day or, or most days. So you're, manage, you're spending part of the day managing a process and managing your business, and you're spending part of the day writing. How does that all work for you? Do you have like a, a system that you've developed to make it all work? You know, I try to write first. Um, I do. I get up really early, so I'm up at four forty-five, and I'm writing. Well, now, um, now that I know that, I'm going to contact you on on uh, Skype because that's when I get up and start writing. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the writing in the dark club. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's nobody up then. I mean, everybody else is just trying to be asleep or whatever. But you know, it's it's good. It's nobody's trying to email you. Nobody's trying to reach you. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I can do that first, then I feel really smug the rest of the day. And it just kind of carries me through all the other tasks I have to do. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. If you get that done, everything else is just gravy. And if you don't, all day long, you're going, oh, my gosh, I I need to get this. It is the most important thing. I need to get it done. (laughs) Exactly. Because if there's no point having a production schedule, if there's nothing to produce, I mean, you know, if you're not if you're not doing it. Um, you know, you've just got to, you've got to just get the pages done. Um, and it doesn't, I don't have a lot of pages I do every day, honestly. I mean, you know, three and a half pages a day. That's, that's really what I'm aiming for. These are double space. This is, Mm -hmm. you know, 250 words a page. It's not a lot, but if you keep doing it, um, it really adds up. So well, it must add up to a book every three months that's been edited. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And I, I think I've just gotten so used to this genre that I can write a pretty clean book and that's something else. I mean, not to, you know, obviously these writers who are listening in, I mean, I wasn't always like that, but, you mm-hmm. know, as you get, you just get quicker, you get more adept, you just get better. Um, and every once in a while, I can still write just this bomb of a first draft, you know, that's just awful. Um, and that does take a little bit more time, but still, even then, I mean, not more than maybe like two weeks. Wow. I can't imagine it. Yeah. All right. I, you mentioned Wattpad a few minutes ago, and Wattpad is something that I'd heard of. But I didn't pay any attention to it until I saw you mention it on your blog several months ago and said you were going to post something up there. And I'm like, oh, Elizabeth is going to do it. I need to go check this out. So then I started paying attention. And I was watching um, the reader growth on the first thing that you put up. I don't remember which book it was. I think it was the first book in one of your series, and you were putting it up a chapter a day. And initially it was, you know, maybe a dozen or two dozen people. And then all of a sudden it just blew up. Yeah. So what was what was that that whole Wattpad thing like? Because for me, Wattpad at least at that time was like something for people who wrote young adult stuff. And you know, it's it's kids yeah. that were using it, kids that were reading the books on there, and they're certainly not going to be interested in cozy mysteries, but mm-hmm. you proved me wrong there. <laughs> um it's well I it's where the young people are. I mean as you're saying. And I think a lot of the readers that I have on there are young people. Mm-hmm. I mean they're like young. Some of them are maybe middle school. Um some of them are teenagers. Um there's a couple in nursing homes though because oh, really? it is yep, it's a free format mm-hmm. and they said they don't have the mobility or the income to be able to buy books and so it's a godsend for them, you know, which is really nice to hear. But my thought on it was I was worried um, that my readers might eventually just die out. I mean, not to put it, you know, any other way. I know that sounds terrible, but I am, I have a very mature reader base Mm -hmm. and I thought, you know what, I, 
I've got to appeal to a younger audience. And I thought this, you know, at first I was very shy about putting my stuff on Wattpad because I was not the kid in middle school or high school who was a cool kid, you know, and I thought, oh, I'm going to be around these kids. Everybody's going to make fun of me. Uh I just like you go right back (laughs) in your head to like being in middle school or something. And they have been wonderful. I mean, very generous. And I started thinking, you know what? Murder, She Wrote had lots of young, I was a young person watching Murder, She Wrote. That Mm -hmm. was a fantastic show. Um, so I, I think we can appeal to the younger generation as long as we're willing to put our stuff out there and we're willing to interact. I mean, on Wattpad, they comment on each chapter that can be a little intimidating. Um, but you know, if you can chat back with them and follow them back and do these kinds of things, you know, they're very social, then it helps. And I'm, I, yeah, I've been amazed and they've bought books. They've said that they've bought books. Uh-huh. Of course, there's no way to really link that, but they've said they've been buying books. So that's Wouldn't good. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everything that you did on any social media or online platform could track back to a sale somehow so that you could actually know whether it's working or not? Oh, data. I would love, <laughs> I would kill for data. Yes. I have no idea. I have no idea for data for my traditionally published books. You know, it's just, there's just a big data question out there. So with Wattpad, I, because you did it and you were out front about doing it, you you posted it on your blog and then people could go and look. And you can actually see on Wattpad, you can see how many people are reading it. So yeah. if no one's reading it, everyone knows that no one is reading it. So yes. you're taking a little bit of a chance when you go out and uh, and do that. Um, did you have writing friends who said, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Or did they say, you're so brave and I want to do this. Tell me what to do. How, how did that go? I think they were um, shocked and horrified at first. <laughs> and I, I think they did think I was going to be bullied. Or I mean, you know, you just think about trolls. I mean, uh-huh. you think about, I, I mean, this is just very ungenerous, but I was like, oh, gosh, you know, and here's poor Myrtle. And she's, I okay, if, if anybody doesn't know my Myrtle, she's an octogenarian sleuth. <laughs> um, so she's not just an older lady. I mean, she's significantly older. And I thought... I, I felt like I was putting a child out on the playground, you know, with a bunch of bullies out there. I thought, oh, this could be really, really scary. And I think that these other writers thought the same thing. And it hasn't been scary at all. They've been awesome. I mean, these kids have been so incredibly supportive. Um, it's really surprising. So I guess when you have a community of readers, I mean, this isn't um, Instagram, you know, this isn't Snapchat. This isn't one of those kind of places. This is a community of readers. They're just very young. Um, then they're in general, they're nice kids, you know? Um, and they, they've just been, you know, really nice. Actually, it's, it's been kind of an ego booster. (laughs) I've, I've seen some things there that I have read and a lot of people will, will just, um, they almost do live drafting there. Yeah, so some of the stuff mm-hmm. is pretty raw and you Very read raw. it and the comments are incredibly positive. Yes. So I think you're right. I don't think there's a lot of trolling there. And I think people are just happy to have something to read. They don't have to pay for. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, it's a place for people to explore. I mean, it really is kind of like a little artistic commune. I mm-hmm. think, I mean, you've got people, you know, you've got 12 year olds writing fan fiction to one direction. Um, and I'm not kidding. I mean, there's probably, I mean, hundreds of thousands of fan fiction um, stories up there devoted to these little, these rock bands. Uh-huh. Um, so you got that kind of stuff going on, but it's just, I mean, they're all exploring and they're, they're supporting each other. And it's, it's very, it's actually, it's kind of a cool community. It really is. 
Okay, so we've been talking about, to get away from Wattpad and back to what we had been talking about, we were talking about this plan, this production plan. So at the end of the production plan, and I'm going to, I'm joking when I say this because I've, I've read, I, I read most of your blog posts, but at the, at the end of the production plan, there's a book. Can you share with the listeners what your elaborate book launch strategy is? And I put elaborate in quotes. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's yeah it, it's it's elaborate it's you know it's just it's very production liney um honestly but it it starts out with you want me to go back as far as like to where I'm like getting ISBNs yeah, and, yeah. That's, okay yeah okay. that's interesting so, because people don't even think about that it's like you yeah. know you need to get the ISBN and if you buy more of them they're cheaper and so yes. it's nice to have a little inventory. Yes, you can buy in bulk, and each format that you have for um, an ISBN, I mean, you have to have a separate ISBN. So you have to have one for EPUB, which is Nook and um, Smashwords and those types of things, and you have to have a separate one for Mobi, which is Amazon, and you have to have a separate one for um, ACX, which is the audiobook. Um, so I buy them in bulk, which is a bit cheaper. Um, I know people say, well, why do that? But um, to me, I mean, I'm sort of old-fashioned. For one, I just feel like, you know, if I'm putting a book out, I, I need to have an ISBN for it. I would like to be tracked. I would like my sales to be tracked. Yes. Um, for one, for another, I want to be the publisher. Um, I don't want Amazon to be the publisher or Kobo to be the publisher. Um, I'm the publisher. Uh, so I want to be able to own, completely own my material. Um, so that's important to me. Um, so I do, I go ahead and I, um, go on to the site Bowker and I, um, assign the ISBNs online. It, takes, you know, not very long. It takes just like maybe seven minutes for each book. How many do you um, buy at a time? I don't mean to interrupt your flow here, yeah. but I'm curious. Um, gosh, I think it's sold in batches of, is it 15 or 20? I, I get like 15 or 20 at okay. a time. All right. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you buy one, they're really super expensive. And the more, yeah. I think it goes up to a thousand. You can get a thousand yeah. for a dollar a piece. Right. Yeah. I want to say that usually when I buy them, I'm spending usually about $200. Okay. I mean, I, I think that's usually what I'm spending. Uh, it's not bad. Um, and so then I have that. And um, at that point, I, I go ahead and make sure that I, I should already have a cover. Um, I get the book formatted. It's, it should have already been edited a couple of times. Um, and then I start putting things up on different places. Um, I go ahead and put it on Smashwords, Nook, Kindle, uh, Create Space, because I like to have a print copy. A, a lot of readers are still wanting to have print. And mm -hmm. I made a mistake originally and didn't have my books in print um, and started hearing from people. So uh, I went ahead and, and made sure that they were in print. Um, and for create space, I order a proof ahead of time to make sure that the book looks good before I, you know, put it up for sale. Uh, I also, um, have ACX, uh, up for audition. That is my audio book. And I have a narrator that I work with now for, she's done several books for me. Um, uh, but the way that works, I do the, um, royalty share program. So she and I split the royalties 50, 50. So I don't have to pay her up front, which, you know, is just kind of cost prohibitive for me. It would be a couple of thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. Um, so that works out really well, but what ACX does in the meantime is they give her a stipend, um, 
for her work. Um, but they usually only do that. I have to email them to ask them to do that. And they like to see sales and reviews. And so I do need to, I usually wait about a month after the book has come out before I put it up for audition. So that way their reviews, their sales numbers are good usually for the book and ACX, um, sends her a check. Um, so she can have something obviously because royalties, it takes a while for those to come in, but but they um, don't do that for everybody. Right. So it's not well, just like you send yeah. an e- you send an email and ask them, hey, will you send my narrator some money? They don't just mm-hmm. automatically do that. It, it's got to be a, a yeah. certain level of success. And that's what you're talking about with reviews and sales and things like that. Yes. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, yeah, I don't even know if a lot of people know about that, honestly. Um, but yeah, it does definitely help. I mean, if you're enjoying moderate success, if mm-hmm. you have a good number of reviews, um, they do it. I mean, they're absolutely happy to do it. Um, they don't tell me about it, but she ends up getting a check and it works out really well. And I don't feel so bad about, you know, obviously she doesn't see any money for months and I don't either, but I'm already getting income from the other formats of the book. So it doesn't really matter for me. Um, so I have ACX going on and then it's, it's more like all the little bits and pieces that I have to do, like update my bio. Um, my bio needs to be updated. And now I'm like, you know, I think I'm just going to say that I write these series and not start listing these, you know, the specific last releases or whatever, because, uh, you know, I mean, if you write three or four books a year, that's, that's kind of a chore, right? <laughs> it's kind of a chore to keep up with it. And it's everywhere. It's your website, yeah. it's Amazon, it's Nook, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's everywhere. So there's it's a lot of places reads. to update it. Yeah. It's Amazon author page. Um, you know, it's, it's all of those places. Um, also the big thing here is the newsletter to our readers, the subscribers to our newsletters, the, the big fans of our books. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so important. And for so long, I just ignored, you know, setting up a newsletter list. And, um, I'm so glad that I started doing that a year ago. You just um, started a year ago. I know. I it's am. So I am so impressed with everything you do. I cannot believe that you haven't been doing that for 10 years because everything you do seems to be perfect. But (laughs) that's, that's funny that you just didn't do that. That was the number one thing you're supposed to do. And I kept reading it. And, you know, Stephen, I think it's because, honestly, with readers, I'm shy. I really am. I am not shy with writers, and I'm not a shy person out in public. I'm just extremely introverted. But with readers, I I just was like, oh, they don't want to hear from me, you know. And I kept reading people saying, you know, back in 2009, you've got to have a newsletter and, Mm -hmm. you know, just set up a MailChimp and see who signs up. And if they sign up, they want it. You know, go ahead and send something out to them. And, and then for a while I just collected names and email addresses, you know, whenever they signed up and I didn't send anything out. So that was, that's a big, that's a big hurdle. It's not just you. There are a lot of people that, that have to overcome that hurdle. And I, as a reader, I'm primarily a reader. I've been a reader since I was five. And as, as soon as I could figure out when new releases were coming out, I would put it on a calendar so that I wouldn't miss something. And when I could start signing up for email lists and be notified by the author that there's a new book, that was like nirvana. Yes. And so then I would go to a favorite author's website. And there's no email sign up form. I know. Oh, my God. What am I supposed <laughs> to do? Go to the bookstore every day? You know, it it took me forever. I mean, after that, for a while, I would just have my my number, my top readers. They would start just emailing me, mm-hmm. you know, saying, "Is when's the book coming out and stuff?" And 
And I would kind of prevaricate and be like, oh, I think it's coming out around this time, you know. And then I thought, what on earth am I doing? You know, I've been collecting names, you know, on a MailChimp or whatever form for like two years. Mm -hmm. I've not sent anything out. And then finally last year, it was December of last year, I sent out my first newsletter. And I was amazed how quickly, I mean, the sales spiked. You could see the sales spike mm-hmm. when I sent out the newsletter. It was just dumb. I, I don't know. It was a dumb thing. That was one of my number one mistakes. Now you do two things. You do a number of things really, really well with your website, which is, is fabulous. Um, but you've got two separate email signup forms. One is to sign up for your newsletter, which is to be alerted when there are new releases or, or whatever you choose to share with your readers. And the other is to sign up for your blog. For people who don't want to check the website every day or who don't use Feedly like we do, uh, they just want to get an email message. And I very few people do that. That was, that was pretty darn clever. Well, thank you. I I was worried again. I just, I, I'm always so worried about trespassing on the readers. You know, I just, I don't want to create any problems for them. And because I do so much with writers, I was worried that readers would try to sign up for, you know, information from me about my books. And mm-hmm. I'd be like inundating them with, you know, how writing craft tips and, you know, stuff like that, writing publishing news stuff. And so I was, it was more just out of my concern that I was going to send them something they didn't want, but it's worked out really well. I think only one time has a, a reader contacted me and said, you know what? I signed up for the wrong thing and I can't figure out how to get unsigned up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it has worked out really well because, you know, I did, my blog is for writers. I mean, very rarely do I have, I, I'm going to say never, I never have anything on my blog for readers. I, I, mean, looked, I looked really hard today to see if there was anything there and I couldn't find anything. <laughs> There's nothing there. <laughs> I just talked to my writers. My but writer your friends. website is set up for readers. If you go to the website, it's here's where you can buy my book. Here's where you can get the latest news. Here's where you can sign up for the, the newsletter. So all of that information is there, and your yes. blog is, is almost separate, and it was separate at one time. And then you combined it with your, your website. Yes, because I, I realized that very stupidly I was I have a lot of traffic on my blog and I was not directing that to my website to give my website more hits. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, all this traffic is going to a different location and it will help readers find me if these writers are going to my website. So that's that's something else that writers need to be aware of. Hey, if you've got a great blog, combine it, even though it's not directed for readers. I mean, really, my blog tab should just be like stuff readers don't want to see. You know? <laughs> that's I should call the tab instead of block. <laughs> um, but it, it brings me a lot of traffic and it gives my blog and my name a lot more visibility online so readers can find me and then they can buy my books. That's why we're doing it. And I, I went out and checked on, I, I went to Chrome and opened up an incognito tab and, and searched on your name and you filled up the uh, the search results. So that's always good when it's you that's filling up the search results, not somebody else. Well, so most of the time it is me. I, I have done this war with this Elizabeth Craig, who's a biochemistry professor in Washington State. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also some sort of, un- unfortunately, this is the most unfortunate. There's some sort of Elizabeth Craig lingerie. I did see somewhere. that one. I did see that one oh. in the images. 
Yes. And so <laughs> that I'm just like, well, I can't compete with that. So um, that gets a lot of traffic that is not obviously directed <laughs> my way. Um, but, but that's really it is those two places. And um, I was like, yay, I've got more visibility most of the time, unless it's exams, maybe it's exam time. And all of those biochemistry kids are on her website trying to send in an assignment or something. <laughs> so when your book is is finally out, you've gone through this entire process, you've, you have the ACX, you've got the ISBN numbers, everything ready to go. It's it's launch day for the book. You send out an email message to your newsletter, um, or yes. maybe you sent that out earlier so that people could pre-order. And then I think maybe you might post something on Facebook, and then that's it for you. It's like it it's over, and you, it's over. <laughs> I and I find that incredible. So how how does that work for you? This you know one shot here it is. It's done, and now I'm working on other things. It works really well because I hate doing promo and, um, and readers, I'm, they find it. It's amazing. And I think the reason they find it is because I put so much stuff out there, um, mm-hmm. that they find it. And the fact that I keep producing books means that I'm taking up more virtual real estate out there. And, um, it, it's just so much better. It doesn't, it just exhausts me to think about trying to promote a book. And for the traditionally published stuff in the early days, I was just a stress basket trying to, you know, I felt a sense of obligation, um, to try to do promotions. And so I did do some blog tours and things like that. And occasionally, I mean, this last, the Sheer Trouble book that came out in August, Penguin did, they had a publicist, this is the first time this has happened, had a publicist and she said, Elizabeth, can you write six blog posts and I will place those in these different blogs. I was like, sure. <laughs> uh, but ordinarily that doesn't happen. And, um, and it's fine. And it's like, it, you know, if you have so many releases in a year, you just worry that you're going to get on people's nerves if you start talking about them all the time. So, yeah, I announced it on Facebook. Um, sometimes I'll do a Goodreads giveaway if I've got ARCs, advanced reader copies from mm-hmm. the publisher. Um, that's it. I mean, oh, and I put a, like a little brief note at the bottom of a blog post. By the way, I have a book out. <laughs> <laughs> so subtle. <laughs> it is just basically not even there. And I love that. I mean, I just, I couldn't handle it any other way. I just, I would be just a nervous wreck, I'm sure. Okay. We're talking to writers now. So let's talk about your blog because you're, as you mentioned a few times, your blog is targeted specifically to writers. Not, it's not genre specific. There's a lot of business information there. There's just a lot of really good, useful information there. You post a lot, you write a lot. Um, are you writing Wednesday's blog post on Wednesday morning, or do you have that done? Do you have January's blog post written already? I've done both things. Um, right now, I'm kind of running behind, and it's because I've got a lot going on right now. I've, like I said, I was outlining the two books, and then I'm writing two books simultaneously right now, which I, I never do, but I'm doing it right now. Oh. Um, I know it's crazy. It's really, but at least they're two different genres, which is the first time I've never written on mystery. So this Uh is an experiment. I'm not going to put my name on it because I'm just not, I don't want anybody to get confused. Um, but it's, I've got so much going on right now that I've got a little editorial calendar for a blog post, but basically I just, I put it on my Google calendar and I write down, um, blog and then I write down ideas and then I have, all of my kind of blog theme ideas um, for what I might want to do for the next couple of months on there. And usually it takes me, honestly, I mean, usually no more than 45 minutes 
to write the blog post. And I don't know if that's just really short or really long, but to make it thoughtful, I mean, it takes about that long for me, but I'm a pretty quick writer usually. And, um, the things that I'm dealing with my blog is mostly just struggles that I've got and my thoughts on the struggles that I'm having with the business end, with the writing end, things that I've had issues with that I've tried to resolve or found ways out of, and just kind of presenting them to other people and saying, this is what I did and this worked or this didn't work. Um, so it's pretty much a natural, um, thing. It's just sort of organic and comes out of the process and what I'm struggling with. I think we're recording this on... On December 3rd, I think today's or yesterday's post was about writing two different series at the same time. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's exactly what it's exactly what you mentioned. And, and it goes back all the way back to the, the post that I found about the production schedules. You were probably working on your production schedule at that time. And I will tell you, 45 minutes, at least in my experience, is pretty darn fast. Okay. (laughs) That's good. I mean, it's, you know, for me, it's just like, oh, I know totally what I, I mean, usually I do. I I don't ever really sit there and go, oh, I don't know what I'm going to write about. I'll be like, oh, you know, I had this thing and, you know, let me just talk about it and see what other people's ideas are. And that's the best part of a blog like this is it's a community Mm -hmm. and um, we're sharing ideas and resources and I've gotten a lot of help from the people in the comments as far as the different approaches that they've taken and I'll try a different approach if what I'm doing isn't working I'm absolutely happy to try something else and see if it does you also do a, a good bit of guest posting don't you I do. Yes. And why? I, I, I ask that because we can all learn from one another. Why do you do guest posts? I have got, um, you know, it's so funny, Stephen, because I, I used to never get people asking to guest post for mm-hmm. me. Never. I mean, never, 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 never. And I don't know what happened. It was the funniest thing. And that was the, the blog had plenty of traffic, but I think it just looked like a one woman show um, that I was there and I was, I was posting daily at that point. Um, for years, I posted daily. Wow. Uh, until lately. I've just, I was like, oh my gosh, I just can't, I just can't. So you're trying to be Seth Godin. Yes, apparently so, um, with with little success there. <laughs> um, so but lately, I mean, I started taking some guest posts, and I don't know if people got less intimidated because they saw that I was accepting them, and then I just honestly, I got so swamped. I thought this would this is actually very helpful because I get a different voice on here, and I think you have to be careful with a blog because the reason that people are there primarily is your voice and your thoughts on things. But I think also sometimes it helps to bring in somebody else's thoughts. And we get some of that in the comments, but it's better from a guest poster who may have a completely different, I mean, I may even disagree with their approach, you know, Mm -hmm. and not think that it's going to be useful, but somebody out there is going to find it useful. And, um, and so that's, that's really why I've done it as, as a combination of I'm slammed, they're offering, and it's a different, you know, approach to a problem. And it's a win-win because you get content, you fill up a slot and they get access to your audience. They get the SEO juice, search engine optimization juice from a very popular website. Um, so it, it, it's very symbiotic relationship, and it works well for everybody. It does, and I also I tweet their post, um, and that may also be why I'm getting more. That could um, be yes, <laughs> uh, because I do have I I have a strong Twitter following, and of course, I mean as a courtesy, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna tweet their post, 
And so that does bring over, of course, people to my blog, but it also, you know, gives them some attention. I mean, who knows if people click links and and buy links and things like that. I guess I could find that out. I never have time to really look at my analytics, um, but I'm sure I could see that. Uh, But in theory, that's what readers could be doing. Yeah. Now you have very specific, let's dig down into social media a little bit. You mentioned Twitter. You have a very specific use for your Twitter account. And uh, and then you have a couple of different uh, Facebook accounts, and and you, it, from my perspective, you do everything extremely well with social media. But talk about your your approach to Twitter because it's it's unique, completely yes. unique in my experience. It it really is. Um, as I think I mentioned to you before we started talking officially online, is that uh, I've had publicity people, PR people, to email me and go, "We are just fascinated at our." company at what you're doing on Twitter. Are you getting sales from what you're doing? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, I, I really doubt that I am. I'm just doing it because I really enjoy it. So what I do is I, I tweet writing links. Um, I, as I mentioned, I uh, curate them off of a Feedly RSS feed. And I have about 3,500 and maybe closer to 4,000 blogs that I follow. (laughs) I think that's incredible because I have like 125 and I can't even begin to keep up. (laughs) Well, it's, I run about 30 days behind on the Feedly. And so I'm looking, you know, through the 30 day lens and it's amazing how you can find that content pretty quickly when you're looking for it. Um, you can tell, and if, if you can't tell from the title, if the title's too wishy-washy, I don't have time to click over. So I'm not getting all the great content, um, but I'm getting the best content that I can find in a 45 minute period, which is about how long I'm going to take to look for 18 tweets for the particular day that I'm scheduling. I use Hootsuite um, to help me schedule. And if I'm ahead of the game, I'm usually about a week ahead of myself scheduling tweets in, but right now I'm 24 hours ahead, which is <laughs> kind of scary. <laughs> and then you take some of those tweets and, and put them in a blog post. Yes, I so do. So you're repurposing that content into your into your blog. So those readers who maybe aren't Twitter followers or just, you know, the nature of Twitter is you if you're tweeting 18 times a day, people aren't going to see everything. So you put the yeah. very best, best stuff into a blog post. Yes. You're so yeah. clever with all this stuff. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's, I'm wondering if it's accidental or if it's cleverness. Um, I did realize that Twitter is so ephemeral that even if you are following me on Twitter avidly, you're just not going to, I mean, this stuff just goes poof, you know, and it just yes. disappears. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I liked the idea of bringing the people over to my blog, obviously, to look at it on Sundays. And so I do have the Twitter roundup. And then I kind of was online. I was worried about, you know, the fact that all this wonderful information, you know, how do I make it so it's searchable and, you know, how, what can I do with this? And then a software developer about, you know, and I'm bad with time. This might've been five years ago. <laughs> Wait till you get a little older. It, it, it expands. <laughs> if you think it was five years ago, it was 20. <laughs> it, it was a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, Mike Fleming and he got in touch with me and he said, you know what? I can make a search engine out of this. Um, and I said, that's great. As long as it can be free, you know, um, let, that sounds good. I just want to be able to make it so the content searchable because it's so great. There's so much great stuff out there. Um, and so there, there's um, now over 30,000 links that are in there. I know wow. that just seems crazy um, of things that I've handpicked, you know, on any topic, you know, you can think of from publishing news to um, writing craft type stuff. 
Um, so it's, it's all in there and, and writers can find it. And it's just, it's something that has really helped me to learn and to be on top of things and just to kind of, I mean, I'm not some sort of tech wizard here, but it, I was like all these basic concepts that I read about over and over again, after a while it gets in my brain and I'm able to follow, you know, the advice. And, um, I think that does really help me except for the newsletter, which for some reason I was strangely <laughs> resistant to. <laughs> it took a lot more, uh, taps on the side of the head for that, but it's, Absolutely. it's, you are so generous with all of this. You, you find all this information and you share it with other writers who are more than likely not your readers. And right. it's just purely an act of generosity. And as, as one reader of yours, I thank you for it. Um, yeah. and, and people, if you're not familiar with Elizabeth's blog, you really need to check it out. What's the best way for people to keep up with you and, and your work? It's definitely on the website. So it's elizabethspancraig.com. And there's my blog and all of my contact information You know, is linked to me from there. Well, thank you so much. You have been very, very generous with your time today. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it, Stephen. Thanks for listening to the AuthorBiz podcast at www.theauthorbiz.com. If you'd like to find out more about the show or anything we mentioned, just check out the website. You can also subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. If you have comments or suggestions, please leave them at the site, or you can email me at authorbiz at gmail.com. Please join us again next week for another informative episode.